0: Chief Executive Jason Tebb is warning that we might be nearing the top of the market. Now, his portal's latest sentiment index, which focuses on buyer and seller confidence and mover attitudes towards mortgage borrowing, found that 74% of active buyers were confident that they would purchase within the next three months and 80% of sellers were confident that they would sell their property within the next three months. Now, it also found that 53% of properties were sold subject to contract within 30 days of first being advertised for sale. Now, that's compared with 35% a year ago. Now, the commentary warns that while the market is currently very strong, it might now be on the turn and I want to debate this around the panel in a second on your thoughts on the market right now I do know that it is finger in the air but based on your experience where you are I'd love to know what the sentiment is in your areas so Teb goes on to say that what might change over the coming months is that house price growth might start to tail off now speculative sellers may be waiting for the top of the curve in terms of pricing before listing their homes. But history shows us that trying to time the market is a difficult feat to achieve. So with double digit house price growth in 21, it remains the best time in two decades to sell. And it could be argued that it is better to do so sooner rather than later. So let's go around the panel. We're talking about the sentiment in the area, Sam what's the market like where you are at the moment and do you think now we have come to the pinnacle is it going to start to tail off in your opinion
1: okay so firstly market in my area right now is bonkers um i think this might be a sentiment that others may share as well it is crazy right now in swindon um property prices are the highest that i've ever seen them properties are selling quicker than i've ever seen them before and it's, I mean, to the degree of, if property goes on in the morning, if you're interested, you better get your offer in that day because they are going that quick. Um, that's the the kind of feeling of the market locally. It's not to say how I'm doing things, but it's certainly the feeling in the market. Now, um, do I think that we're approaching the top? Um, if I'm honest, my gut instinct is no. I, I've got a few opinions. First my gut instinct is no. I think that this year, I mean, I'm reading reports, and um, there's a This Is Money report, um, <clears throat> where they've got one forecast saying they're expecting as much as 7% growth again in 2022. Um, And it's really interesting, obviously, everybody's, um, this on the market research um, is, you know, based upon their own internal data. um, There's obviously other other forecasts out there. And I suspect that we will see growth again this year. I don't think it's gonna be as high as 7%. I reckon we'll probably see, probably around maybe four to four and a half, maybe 5% growth this year um if we're talking about it in 12 months time i reckon that's where we'll be at but um so i don't think we're at the top of the market um i think that it's a very dangerous thing to try and time the market though bearing in mind that a huge number of um house transactions in the uk i appreciate not many people in this room but for a lot of people it's their family home this is where you know their their children sleep where they and their partners have their lives and you're playing with fire if you try and time the market. You, I think the thing I always come back to is the same saying over and over, but you get rewarded for time in the market, not timing the market. Now I've got a bit of a cold, but the point being is the longer you're in the market for, with your property investment, the more you'll be rewarded if you try to, Time the market, and sell and buy at just the correct moments, is incredibly difficult to do. And you may end up being penalized uh, by the market because it's a bit of a cruel mistress. And, you know, the market doesn't care if it's going to have a massive negative effect on you personally. So, a um, few thoughts on that. But yeah, where I'm in Swindon, so we're halfway between London and Bristol. We are seeing an absolutely insane market right now. So that's me.
0: Thank you, Sam. You know, I think I don't know how many times a day. I get asked, when is the best time to buy property? And I think, you know, stereotypically, we all say, you know, buy property and wait, don't wait to buy property and all of these little sayings. But the fact is that if the property market goes up or if the property market goes down, if you buy for residual income, and if you're buying to rent your property out, to use that income to live, then it doesn't really matter too much whether your property value goes up or down depending on your leverage if because you're going to be getting the same rent per month regardless of how much that property is worth so when people say when is the best time to buy well if you're flipping property then of course you do need to try and time it the best to your ability because that's going to be your profit but if you're buying to hold it doesn't matter too much So I just want to put that out there to everybody. So Lorraine, what are your thoughts on the property market that we're seeing at the moment?
2: Okay, so I I mean, I've got a couple of thoughts here. And I think the first point is, we're we're talking about a set of statistics and numbers. So statistics will always lead to an up or a down when in perhaps real terms, we might experience a small growth, you know, 0.025% or a small drop, 0.025% down. And the press will always, push that as the property market is going up or the property market is going down. I think in reality, what we're looking at is probably a stabilisation, we're looking at a bit of a plateau, rather than the growth that we've seen this year. I don't think we're we're heading the other way, all the way down to the bottom. Um, And my reasons are, That I think supply and demand is just too strong. There is not enough stock. Estate agents don't have enough stock to sell. When they do have stock, it's going very quickly. It's going above market value because of the reason that there is no stock. So I think we're probably into that area. My third reason is I think that potentially building costs are still really, really high. Now, I know some people are expecting those prices to come down but once you've implemented a price hike it's quite easy to to stay there and I think we're also expecting another energy increase later on this year and a lot of our building costs are relying on energy so bricks um, cement tarmac all these things rely on a lot of oil and, and energy to actually make the materials so I don't think new housing will be able to cope with the uh, the as uh, price drop because they won't be able to put that into the market and um, because they're but they won't make the margins so it, that's my views on on where we're going and I totally agree you know if I could buy houses and wait then I would be doing that right now but at the moment stocks going really quickly
0: yeah it is going it's flying isn't it and we've seen that you know we put an offer in just between the week between Christmas and New Year. We got to the final two, and we lost it. And it was just so, so fast, have to be really quick. Dave, good morning to you, sir. What are your thoughts on this? Are we going to see a crash?
3: Good morning, everybody. Um, Thanks, Rick. Yeah, look, I'm just resonating with everything that everybody else has said, really. Um, Lorraine, Lorraine, trying to get my teeth in there. Lorraine made the great... uh, point there around supply and demand there's not enough houses in this uh, country for the demand so a house price you know simple supply and demand will will push that push prices up anyway i don't think we're going to see any crash for uh, for 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 at least the next couple of years um and there's a there's a reason behind that for me the government cannot let that happen um i think the inflationary prices are going to continue to rise because the government have borrowed so much money that the only way that they're able to kind of reduce that debt is through inflationary pressures now they say they're going they say that you know you hear it out there that inflation is going to rise by seven percent it's more likely going to be around 10 in my in my uh, in my view because they just want to erode that debt now what does that do for house prices well if inflationary pressures are going up you've got a hundred thousand pounds house and your inflation's at seven percent, it's going to be one hundred seven thousand pounds next year, right? So, I just think there's there's too many factors. You know, interest rates are low, demand is high, supply is 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 low, inflation inflation's growing. Um, there's just too many things for the house price, the house market to crash right now. It will do at some point, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon in the next couple of years because of all the, the the crutches that rishi sunak's kind of put into the economy that's my thoughts
0: thank you dave i tend to agree with much of what you said and i don't think the government would let it happen though into the stamp duty land tax incentives that they've put in there would just be all a complete waste of time wouldn't it so so thank you for that olivia you're on the stage this morning i see you have got your party hat did you want to contribute towards this topic olivia are you there Okay, nothing here, that's fine. So over to the next news bulletin today then. So in keeping with what we've just announced, Rightmove's first housing market report of 2022 starts where last year's ended, and that is on a high. The average price of property coming to market jumped by 0.3% this month to £341,019, which is a 7.6% increase than it was a year ago. And it's the highest annual rate of price growth recorded by the average price of property coming to market. Now, it's been since May 2016, and first time buyers asking prices have now hit a record high of £214,716 after a monthly jump of 1.4%. Now strong demand and continuing low numbers of available homes for sale set up the housing market frenzy and it's set to continue into the start of 2022, with early bird sellers benefiting from increased buyer competition. The number of buyers Inquiring about homes is 15% higher than the same time last year, yet the number of available homes for sale per estate agency branch has dropped again to a new record low of just 12. So as a result, Rightmove calculates that competition amongst buyers is almost double what it was this time last year. However, the portal reports that there are early signs that more property choice is on its way, with the first working week of 22 being the busiest start of the year for people requesting agents to come out and value their homes. The number of home valuation requests are 44% up on the same period last year, and 48% up on the same period in 2022 so it's still bubbling out there folks it's still a really hot market now if you've got anything you'd like to add if you'd like to come up to the stage then please do raise your hands come up to the stage and you can make a contribution i'd love to know what your thoughts are and what your areas are collectively around the room so i'm going to talk a little bit about um not epcs now we're going to talk a little bit about the energy, the energy hike so the the hike in the the cost of utilities at the moment and how you're dealing with it dave from your perspective from a service accommodation element and sam from a hmo standpoint are you rising your rents at the moment to cover this or is it something that you're just having to swallow for the short term So we're seeing a massive hike at the moment, especially during COVID. And now, of course, we've seen all of the collapse of the energy firms that's really starting to cause us a few headaches. So we normally budget 14 pounds per person per week when it comes to our utilities. Now, generally speaking, we're never really too far away from that. But now we are starting to have to put that up because we're seeing a lot of price increases around the board, and it's going to start hitting that bottom line. So Sam, what have you put in place to try and counter this, if anything, at the moment?
1: To be honest with you, we haven't really um, been massive. I don't want to say we haven't been proactive on it, because I actually like think we're very proactive in our business, but we haven't really changed what we're doing. We've stayed the course. Um, when we refurbish our properties, we make a point about pursuing energy efficiency. Pursuing just draft elimination as well. It's such a simple thing, but making sure that every property has them, just knowing where, where those drafts are and what's causing them, um, it makes a big difference to the user experience. And we I mean I'm a big fan of Timostat. If you're not familiar with Timostat, it's essentially a thermostat based on a timer where tenants can still boost the heat as much as they want, but it puts a timer on the boost. So it would limit it to 30, 60, or 120 minutes. So we have that in place on all our properties as well. Um, I like t- Timestat. I know there's smart solutions with Hive, et cetera, out there, but the thing I like about stat is that it looks and operates just like a normal thermostat. So from a tenant user experience, it's akin to what they're used to already. And, you know that in itself makes it just a lot uh, a lot easier for us to kind of educate tenants and use and to encourage them. So at the moment we haven't. I've just had a little look on my. Um, so we use Mango for our utilities. I've just had a little look as to we've got smart meters as well everywhere. So we see month to month um, very accurately what's going on with our utilities. Our most expensive um, five bed HMO because that's what we've got the most of um, was three hundred and thirty six pounds in December. Um, so to put some numbers to it. We do monthly readings and we have smart meters, Um, and so that's my my January bill for which I believe is for my December period. Um, My most expensive fibre at three thirty six. So you work that back and you go, well, what's that? It's going to be sixty six pounds per tenant. Well, fifteen ish pounds, not not even fifteen pounds per person per week, is it? That. So I don't, um, I don't necessarily you know, at the moment we haven't massively shifted. We probably will do for next winter. We'll have to think a little bit more practically about it. So I'm open, I'd love to hear from people in the audience, get some ideas going on this. Um, but for the moment we work on doing really good quality refurbs um, and we're using time stats. We're not into fair usage policies. If someone's using them effectively, I'd love to hear from them. We, we don't, um, mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily suit our business, but I'd love to hear from people that are using them and their experience
4: of it.
0: I don't think fair usage policies, well, certainly HMOs um, are particularly strong for lo- lots of obvious reasons. So with a HMO, of course, if you're charging a fair usage policy, you've got a five bedroom HMO. Room one is mining for Bitcoin. Room two has been away for three weeks, staying with family. Room three is just operating normally. And room four's got four or five electric radiators that they're plugged in, which, of course, are not supposed to have then the bills spike, and then you try and charge everybody collectively, unless they're on a joint and several contract, it's not really something that would work. And you've got to look at that on the flip side as well. So what if the utilities are less than the fair usage policy that you've put into place? So if they come in maybe on a quarter, and they are two, 300 pounds less, are we then going to pay the tenants back are we gonna then reimburse them? Then you become an energy supplier, which of course is regulated. So for those that do use fair usage policies, okay, more of a deterrent. It's not something that you would probably ever be able to rely on in court if you ever tried to test it. Certainly not something that we've ever relied upon. Dave, what are your thoughts on this as an Airbnb host, as an Airbnb business owner? Are you seeing a hike and are you reflecting this in the charges?
3: Yeah, so great question. Um, something that we kind of have been looking at quite extensively over the last sort of three or four months, especially with a lot of the energy companies. I mean, I had a lot of stuff set up with uh, lookaftermybills.com, and a lot of the energy companies that they had provided kind of went out of business. and We've essentially gone back to most of the main suppliers like EDF and um, British Gas, and we're in the process at the moment of looking at some commercial rates for our portfolio. Um, but some of the things that uh, you talked about there, about prices and putting them up, we're very much uh, a market-based, uh, we, we, we can only follow the market in terms of our pricing strategies in, um, in serviced accommodation, and they're very, very price sensitive. So just to whack a load of money onto that would probably be detrimental to the business. So what we have sort of implementing um and that the apart hotels that we are building out at the moment they will have very smart systems we use a we're, we're looking into a piece of software at the moment called um inspire which essentially kind of links to our system or our calendar or our channel manager that we have in our business and it will kind of turn the the radiators on and off when guests are when when guests are coming in or if we don't have guests so it's 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 more about being smarter with what we've got rather than um you know increasing our prices so hopefully, hopefully that that makes sense
0: it does inspire that's interesting might be something that we have to look into sam just mentioned a little gadget called Tymostat. now if those of you may have heard of Tymostat, there are a lot of smart gadgets out there available um, you've got nest you know, there's um the the what's the the British Gas one, whatever the one that they call Hive. It's called Hive, isn't it? There's Inspire. There's loads of different elements. Now, I choose to use a a gadget called Timostat. And we've got these in every single one of our HMOs. Now, the, the reason I chose to use Timostat over all of the others, because I've tried loads, When we started, we used the British Gas one, which was called Hive. Now, what I found was, and I don't know if anybody else in the audience, and we've just been joined by Ricky as well. When I was um, monitoring, if you like, the builds, what I found that I was doing is I was playing a a game of ping pong. So I would set the the thermostat to 22 degrees. And then I get a notification saying the house is at 30. So I'd turn it down. And then they would turn it up and then I'd turn it down. And what I found happened, they would always unplug the router um, for the, the thermostat. So then I'd have to go round to the property and plug it back in. And it became a real issue for me. It almost became a little bit of an obsession. So what I decided to do was take all of that element away. I didn't want something that I could plug my phone into and check every 10 minutes, especially as we grew. So I went to a company called Tymostats. Now the difference is between Tymostat and all the others, that it is mechanical, it doesn't plug into the internet, there is no app for it, it literally just does what it says on the tin. So you literally plug it into your boiler, and I think it's available for hot water and heating now, but when I started it was just for the heating. And you plug it into your boiler, it would enable you to set your temperature, or still does, to a, a minimum temperature of 18 degrees and a maximum temperature of 22 degrees. So you're always within the law when it comes to health and safety, because those are the parameters. So the property is never going to go below 15. But then you've got two choices and two settings. You can time your heating down from four hours or two hours. So if you set the timer stat to two hours, Your tenant will have to press the boost button, it will turn the heating on, and then it will time down and switch off after two hours. So might be a little bit of an inconvenience for your tenants have to keep doing that but it absolutely 100 percent cuts your bills right down no longer now do we go into a HMO to find that everyone's at work and the heating is on full it doesn't happen anymore so it really did help us out with that Ricky good morning you have just joined us up on the stage hope you're well so it's Toyin we're just talking about the energy spike specifically with HMOs are you perceiving a problem if so are you going to counteract it by putting your rents up? Ricky, good morning.
5: Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Sam, the rain, Dave, toyen Good morning, all. Um, I actually, before, I've actually got Hive and Nest. Um, and before that, I used to face a problem with tenants setting the, I used to set the timer on the boiler itself. So those little notches that you pull up at certain times, a couple of hours, you know, spaced out throughout the day. And then I found tenants just kept on tampering it and just kind of putting the heating on full. Um, and it really affected the bills. So I then turned to Hive. Um, Hive is not very good for the reasons that you mentioned, Rick. So um, I moved on to Nest and again, didn't have good experiences with Nest because Nest can be overridden. There's like a little white smart box that's quite close to the board. And if you press the button on that, you can actually override it. So I found tenants were doing that. And then I discovered through yourself, Rick. Actually, through your Facebook group, I mentioned in it is the Timeless Stat. So I, I actually installed Timeless Stat into a few of my HMOs, and they're not very technical, which is brilliant. They're so easy to use. So tenant can just add the kind of timer that they want to a maximum of two hours, and then once that once that two hours is up, the heating cuts out. So it's not too technical; it's simple to use, and it definitely saves you on your energy bills. So um, definitely recommend Timeless Stat. So yeah, that's my opinion on that. But yeah. Brilliant advice. Brilliant.
0: Thank you, Ricky. Awesome. I don't get paid, by the way. You know, we are doing this just for the love of sharing. Thank you, Ricky. Lorraine, I know you wanted to add a little bit to this because, you you know, a little bit on the energy uh, point of view.
2: Yeah, I I think I just wanted to add some practicalities around it because I I think we we focus on how we can save energy and increase um, our prices. But I think one of the biggest challenges I see and that sort of a pattern happened in our business until i realized exactly what was going on was that actually if you use something like an energy provider or budget scheme is quite quite sometimes you can get behind with your bills so for instance if you're paying 100 pounds a month and the energy actually goes up to 150 pounds a month in terms of actual usage you can then quite quickly get 600 pounds behind in terms of the energy that you owe your provider now that causes you a problem if you want to move so you either have to bring that account up to date pay the the money over or you um you basically stay with that provider and you you can't really shop around so it kind of handcuffs you to a provider if you just want to smooth out that bump in your cash flow in your business so my recommendation would be to always try and provide actuals every month to your your energy provider if um if you can i would actually go onto an actual basis i don't really like the budget schemes in any of our businesses it always makes me it makes me worry when we are on a budget scheme it just i just think you're you're open to those ups and downs those variances as such and the other thing that I've noticed when I was looking at our holiday let um, just last week, actually, I was looking at the numbers and we have come out of contract on that one. It was just the timing of it because some of our contracts are two or three years, but that one had, had ended um, in November of 2021, our contract ended. And I immediately assumed that going on to standard rate would actually punish us and, and kill, um, kill our costs as such. So, when I was reviewing it, what was quite interesting is actually because of the energy cap on that one, we're actually being protected on standard variable. If we go into another contract, we'd, we'd actually end up spending an extra 2,000 pounds per year on energy, just by having the security of a contract. Now you can you can look forward to April and think, okay, there's another energy hike coming. Will the energy price caps be altered? possibly, probably, um, will the providers be allowed to move their prices forward and move your standard pricing forward? So I would just be careful if you are looking to move on a contract, just make sure you've done your numbers and calculate. It's a bit of a theme with me today, isn't it? I'm talking about numbers a lot. Just make sure you've done your numbers so that you are actually making sure that you, that does benefit you and the business. And we can't foresee everything. So sometimes I think we just have to take this and just know, just know where we are with what the costs are in the business. So just some practicalities, really, of managing the energy bills as opposed to the consumption.
0: Thank you, Lorraine. Yeah, 100%. I do remember, I don't know, several years ago, we were on an average and we were just paying on the budget scheme. And I think we got presented with a bill of about seven and a half grand for electric that was unpaid. And it was like, what? It just mounts up,
1: doesn't it?
2: yeah and that's the challenge isn't it and then you'll kind of you either have to find that seven and a half thousand to go onto another contract and it does tie your arms up in in all sorts of ways because then you can't you can't negotiate as well you and the kind of the provider does know and that was actually a commercial contract and i think one one of the other things that we've done is we've come away from some of the the brokers and when we actually deal direct and use some of the tools online so it, it's not we don't do it in our business and um, the property management team do but we will um we will actually directly negotiate and and we found that saved us straight away 20 percent of our utility bills so if you are experiencing a, you know, a hike yeah it's a, a bit of a pain in the bum it's a, it's annoying and it kind of like you it does take up your time but all of this stuff is going to fall to the bottom line it's going to be profit if you can save it you're not talking about having to do extra work, to get extra bookings, to do extra stuff. All of this is money that just stays in your bank account. So it's it's really Mm. effective in terms of um, actually saving costs.
0: Yeah, 100%. Thank you, Lorraine. Great discussion today, if you are new here. This is the UK Breaking Property News and Debate Season 2. We're back for another season where we talk about all of the latest breaking news, bring it to debate, talk about it, bring it to life. So if you all notice that um, we've got a link now pinned to the top of the group, and that is a link to my VIP Academy. So if you'd like to click on that link and just check out the VIP Academy, what is it? The VIP Academy was something that I put together myself during lockdown one to try and help as many people online for a budget as possible. I wanted to bring as many people together and provide loads and loads of online content so the VIP Academy gets you about 15 individual courses over 100 hours of online learning you also get a Facebook VIP group where every two weeks we have a live zoom mastermind where you can ask me any question and bring to the table a little bit of mentorship and then we've also got exclusive access to myself and one of my coaches and Sam well in the VIP group. So it's an all-encompassing place to be. We cover rent to rent, we cover lease options, we cover HMOs, buy-to-lets, and serviced accommodation. So if you're interested in VIP, it's less than 30 pounds a month subscription, and you can cancel anytime no questions asked so click on that link it'll take you over to the vip landing page and you can check it out for yourself Toyin, good morning we're talking about energy consumption in our hmos and our portfolio and we're just wondering what everyone on the panel is doing to counter this at the moment if anything is it something that's raising its head with you at the moment
4: good morning Rick, Sam, so lauren um, ricky and dave and good morning everyone um yes it is something that we do look at. However, in terms of our approach, we have a more laid-back approach. We 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 look to manage the energy bills more as against energy consumption, and I think partly because we do not. I mean, uh the the, the portion of our portfolio that is HMOs is 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 is, 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 is limited. It's not it's not it's not it's not large. So because of that, we don't pay at more of an active um, approach was more of the laid back and managing the bills. and um, we, we do we do quite a bit of what um Lorena was describing earlier in terms of managing the bills and going for actual um actuals instead of um of a of, of budget just to make sure that we are staying on top of things. However, the consumption isn't something we've actively managed. We have the hive, I believe, and we also we've also used nest as well. Um, but Again, we have some of the things that you've mentioned in terms of it going up and down, the sort of play, play, playing the cu- cu- catch up with, with the tenants Um, we've experienced. And what we do in that case is we just send an email and say, we need to stay on this um particular number. And sometimes they respond, sometimes they don't. And it just, yeah. It's just so much that you're trying to catch your tail, but it's not something that we actively look at at the current time. I mean, while I was listening to Lorraine, I was just actually thinking it is actually true in the fact that sometimes you're looking over how to actually make money and then and, and, and increase your, your cash flow. But something it but very important to understand that it's not necessarily all about how to make money sometimes it's about saving costs so um definitely one, one for us to actually look at and just see what is the what what is the major impact that we have here and how is this affecting our bottom line um and then so yeah that's my contributions.
0: Thank you, Torian, awesome. Okay, so we're talking a little bit about energy consumption this morning. We spoke a little bit about planning. So now we're gonna move on to Sam. Sam's gonna take over for the next uh, part of the session. So Sam, over to you. Thanks very
1: much, Rick. Now, before we just jump onto the next news story, I just want to follow off the back of that. And is anybody on stage or anybody in the audience um, actively using solar in their HMOs? Now, the only reason I mention this is we've got one HMO that has solar panels, and it is actually electric, our cheapest HMO. I know electrics not necessarily the utility bill we're all worried about right now but it is at the moment our our cheapest from electric um and we've got to do a new roof on one of our hmos this year or next and in the back of my head i'm thinking well when we do the new roof we might as well think about putting solar up there at the same time so um anybody who is doing that and wants to come up and just give us a little bit of info on that would be grand. I'd love to hear from other people. Um, So look, hand raising is turned on. um, It's open to everybody. If people want to come get involved in the debate, as always, please do join. And if you have joined recently, this is the UK breaking property news and debate. And what we do is we go through the breaking property news and we debate it amongst ourselves and we have an open floor to get people from the audience up as well. Now, the next one, I'd like to touch upon um, is a news story. It's from Landlord Today. And this is related to Airbnb. So really, really have to have, um, Obviously, we've got Dave as our, our SA expert on stage. There's a few essay um, providers in the audience I know as well. So anybody who wants to come get involved is to be grand. Now, the headline's a little bit um, direct, shall we say. Airbnb and shortlets wreck local housing markets, say conservationists. The Council for the Protection of Rural England which is the CPRE, is the latest body to blast Airbnb and other short lets for their impact on the mainstream rental sector. New findings in a CPRE research report shows a thousand percent increase in short-term lets nationally in 2015 to 2021. So in a six year period, a thousand percent increase with most in rural staycation hotspots. All while 176,000 families wait on long social housing lists. Its analysis of data on properties listed on Airbnb and other short let sites show that 148,000 homes could have otherwise, or in some cases, previously were used as homes by local families and are now instead being put up on short-term and holiday lets. This happens as CPRE claims there's been a steep decline in the completion of social housing. The campaign's data shows the biggest rises in locations such as Cornwall, Devon, South Lakeland and Northumberland often combined with social housing waiting lists are lengthening year on year. The analysis shows that in South Lakeland, for example, which saw a 1,231% increase in short-term listings between 2016 to 2020, so that's just a four-year period, roughly half the families in need of social housing could be accommodated in property exclusively available for holiday rentals. And in Cornwall, which saw the short term listings grow 661% in five years to September 2021, there are roughly 15,000 families on social housing waiting lists, and the same number of properties being marketed as holiday lets. CPR chief, Executive Crispin Truman says there simply has to be a government response to the fact our rural housing supply is disappearing into an unregulated short term rentals market that simply didn't exist six years ago. The CPRE wants tighter controls on second home ownership, including higher council tax on second homes and the requirement for short term lets to have planning permission. Now I'd like to throw this out to debate from anybody here. Do we agree that short-term lets wreck local housing markets? I know this isn't a new argument, and I'm <laughs> Dave, sure Dave's, Dave's gonna have in a bit. It. Dave's
0: yeah. like flash my mic, flash my come mic. Come on, let me mic. go.
1: <laughs> well, this is it, is that I know Dave wants to get involved on in this. And I'd, again I'm gonna say, look, hand raisins on, I'd love to hear from people on this because this is the main argument we come up again. I know it's not new. And, but this is new data, it's a new report. And actually, it's interesting to see the numbers, how much it's grown, how much it's exploded. And if you are- Let yet, go. Or, I know, I just want to wind them up a bit. still so give them a chance to get even more eager. But if you are investing in um, SA, 1,000% increase over a five or six year period. So it is an exciting industry, it's cutting edge. So with that in mind and that, that preamble, Dave.
3: Right, okay, so, so look, When When
0: Dave starts with, right, I'm listening.
3: Right, the problem in this country is not serviced accommodation providers bringing new serviced accommodation to certain areas and supplying the rooms for people to actually come into those areas and provide value in those areas and spend money. The problem just take a drive down the road, have a look at the the amount of land we've got that's not built on, take a look at how many derelict buildings that we've got that haven't been um, converted, just look at the amount of housing that we have committed to that hasn't been built, okay? That's the problem. It's not that, you know, entrepreneurs are coming in and, and Building Airbnb businesses that brings value to an area, that brings money in, that increases um, increases activity in certain areas, which is only good for the good for the economy. Now, if you look take a look at our um, councils and our planning processes and how long it takes for properties to go through and be built and because of all the red tape that we have that's the issue not that because serviced accommodation providers are bringing new are taking up rental spaces and and whatnot i mean rental airbnb and 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 serviced accommodation is a tiny, tiny percentage of the hotel market. Now, we are gaining traction, in that, and that's going to grow over a period of time, but the problem isn't us, it's the government and the restrictions that we have on building new stuff. And that's me done. I was, I was very calculated about that, I could have gone off on one then.
1: I I thinking... you know, it reminds me of when you um, when you ask a family member like a question about politics, and they take a deep breath and they go, Right.
0: The <laughs> I was is expecting a rant. a bit
1: of a rant on
4: that. I, I definitely want to go on that. And yeah, adding to what um, Dave said, the amount of properties that are laying empty, unoccupied, derelict, and nothing has been done, they're not attacking that. So it's just a case of absolutely not. If we actually think about it, a lot of the properties that are being used. For Airbnb shortlets, we're probably not going to be available for social housing anyway. Um, not not every landlord is, looks to to, to to accommodate um those on the social housing list. There's just so many reasons why people wouldn't and um, w- would use their properties for shortlets as against long term let. There is there, there there are lots of people that are looking to actually buy properties and cannot afford to not because shortlets are not there there's just a lot of reasons why the housing market is the way it is um taking a hit at um at the short term let is just absolutely unwarranted, not required at all and uh, like 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 Dave rightly said one uh, of the it's, it's almost like an opportunity because what are the benefits that this market is actually big into the local areas. Have we looked at that? Have we looked at the the, the benefits there as against looking at the problem? It is just people being against something. It is such a small, tiny part of the market that I just don't understand why it's a problem and why people make it a big issue. I guess it's one of those things that's a topical thing and then it makes press and it sounds good. Yes, you do have um you do have some problem problem properties, and that could be a, a an issue in, in 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 the local area, especially when you have a problem tenants, which we all know is one of the um, bad parts of which you could actually have in a rental property as well. However, I just totally disagree with that news. it's not true. I'm in the market and I don't think that I actually affect my local market in the way that's been described. Brilliant.
1: Um, oh, sorry, just before we throw it to you, Ricky, I was just going to ask
4: Toyin, are you in
1: rural locations or city centre locations? Both. We, 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 we both. do both, yeah.
5: Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much. Sorry, go on. Uh, Ricky and then
1: uh, Lorraine wants to jump in on this one too. So, Lorraine first.
5: Thanks, Sam. Um, Dave, Dave was bang on. Um, uh, the PRS sector is always, always easy targets. We're soft targets. We're get blamed, I guess, for you know, the government failing to provide, to build and provide new homes. Um, and then like Dave mentioned, the fact that you've got these long planning applications that you need to go through and the strict planning, um, you know, application that we need to go through, it takes so long. Um, and then you have to think to yourself, well, why do investors turn to SA, particularly in these tourist hotspots? One, because you're going to get obviously better returns on your investment. And two, There's less regulation, so you don't need to worry about serving Section 21 again. They're going to be abolishing that to make it even harder to evict tenants, Um, or worrying about tenants not paying their rent, uh, or worrying about tenants trashing the property. Um, So with all this increased legislation, particularly in the in the in the buy-to-let market, it's it's kind of forcing landlords to kind of move to this direction. You know, so you can't. Yeah. So they set this
3: market up, Ricky. Exactly. They set this market up. And then they, they market that market up, so it's easier for people to be able to do that. And now it's kind of backfiring. I, I, I don't get it. It doesn't matter what you do. There's always something that will give you a, a negative, negative press in, 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 in anything. It's, it's, it's crazy.
4: You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh,
4: Lorraine, did you want to come in on this
2: one? Yeah, I, I just wanted to add um, a, a slight angle to this. I think. One of the things I'm concerned about is that the holiday homes, the second homes and holiday lets are getting all tarnished with the same brush. I think there's a real need here to be really clear about what the problem is. Now, I I can't see that any communities would be... Um, would would want to push business away, but I, I do feel there is some element of that. But I do think we are looking at, the, I think the properties that really cause the most angst and anger are the ones where they are literally second homes, where people are treating them as holiday homes on the coast. They're left empty most of the year because the owners don't necessarily need to afford to, to rent them out. This also means then that, locals see these properties just sat there and, and unavailable to them on, on, are actually vacant and, and it just angers people now i, I know i don't know the, the the case perhaps so much in england but i know in wales because we have holiday homes in wales that w- the welsh government are actually talking about the collapse of the rental market because they feel so passionately about uh, local homes not being available for local people but the only tool that the welsh government ha- and some of the councils have to be able to influence this because they can't influence um, national um, legislation they have to government have to put that in is the only thing they can do is just to double the the rental so i i think there's a lot of noise being created and thrown against one general topic. When I think as an industry, we ought to get behind actually segregating the problem. Is it hotels? Is it the kind of the self-catering accommodation? Or are we really just talking about second homes? How much of a problem is it to bring business and um, spending into the local economy? That was just my my two penneth.
1: That's brilliant. Thank you very much, Lorraine. I see John's flashing as well. John, do you want to come in on this?
6: Hi, everyone. Um, I was just thinking, actually, holiday homes are nothing new. You know, this isn't like a new concept. You know, people have owned holiday homes by the seaside forever. So, you know, there's a lot of political noise at the moment. And it's a very hot topic about your know, homes being taken out of local circulation. But it's nothing new. You know, my parent, uh, my grandparents used to have a flat in near Bournemouth. And when I was, you know, young for the first, I mean, I remember, you know, we used to go there every single summer, but the flat would have sat empty the rest of the year. You know, maybe we would have gone down there at Easter or, you know, Christmas for a week. But, you know, this sort of goes back to the point I think Dave made earlier. The bottom line is the majority of this country is land and it's fields and it's greenbelt. And until we reassess the greenbelt situation and we have an open and honest conversation about it there's always going to be a housing shortage so until we start unlocking the parcels there are going to be people who won't be able to buy in areas they want to and the reason that the buy to let market or the service accommodation market is doing so well is ultimately because people want to be in those areas and so we need to look at how and where we build more homes in those areas so that we can Keep the demand flowing versus arguing about people shouldn't be allowed to have second homes in those areas.
5: Also, just just to throw something into the mix, surely it's better for the economy for people that are living in the UK to visit other places within the UK, particularly since COVID and all the travel restrictions. Um, the economy is obviously going to benefit from people traveling around and spending money in the uk surely so this was interesting
1: because i I was kind of expecting this to be one of the first responses is actually you know when you've got the the big backlash from certain communities say well if you took away all the tourism spending i wonder how they'd feel about it then um uh, you know but i don't think it's a question of absolutes of course you know there is there is hotels and etcetera there but the reality is if you take somebody like me I mean I'm a father of two me and my partner and my kids I, I always use this analogy when it comes up with SA um SA has made it actually affordable enjoyable and really really practical for us to do a UK staycation um Hotels, I don't love hotels when I'm traveling with a small child, I tend to prefer an apartment or a small house. um, If I can, especially in the UK. Um, Whereas if you get rid of the SAs, then hotel rates going to be it's gonna be the same problem you have got with UK house prices, they're gonna shoot up and up and up. And then I'll be saying the same things I was saying five years ago, which was, I don't want to go to Cornwall, because it's cheaper for me to go to Spain. Um, which you know is ultimately the other side of it. I suppose this leads on to a, a follow-up query. I, I see Dave's fashion now. A, a follow-up query as well, though, is we started off today talking about house prices. Um, average house price for a first-time buyer is now at £214,000. Um, I, I suppose that's the other argument with this, of course, is it prices out first-time buyers from the communities they grew up in. Um, I can kind of feel a little bit more understanding in that. Um, does anybody want to come back on that at all?
6: Well, eventually, doesn't the pricing price out investors as well? If pricing, you know, explodes to the point where it's so high, then it gets to the point where investors won't be able to see margin, which will ironically weaken demand. So I suppose there are people being priced out of their their local communities. But I, I still think it's, you know, there are very few areas where it's becoming totally impossible for people to buy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As if yeah, back I'll,
3: I'll jump in there. So, I mean, there's, you've got two different angles here, right? You've got residential, which is people buying their own, people who are buying their own properties and property investors. Property investors, it's all about just finding value in a building where other people can't find it, right? Or adding value to something that other people can't um, see the value in. So, you know, from, from a service accommodation perspective, there's a value in changing it to, to that type of um, strategy. There's a value in HMO, there's a value in buy to let. When you're buying, a pro- when most people buy a property from a residential perspective, they're not adding value and that's where the difference comes. So if the pricing is being driven up by investors buying in a, in a particular market, they're finding different value from anywhere else. So that's probably why the, um, why there's a differential there. but Sam, I just wanted to come back on a point that you made there you were making about the service accommodation stuff as well with the, the the tourism. It's not just tourism and leisure that people go to service accommodation for. You know there's there's three main areas. there's leisure. there's that you know people come in for weekend breaks and staycations and all that sort of stuff. There's um, also business travelling and contractor travelling. And then lastly, there's people um, or family that go and visit friends and family. And that's one area that people always kind of forget about. We're providing a service for those three different industries, not just three different areas, sorry, not just the, the leisure market. So I just wanted to make that, make that clear to everybody.
1: Absolutely. I think this is the whole point, isn't it? Is service to accommodation. It, it it does cover those. I I think it's really, really interesting, Dave. And do you know what I really appreciate everybody's kind of inputs and thoughts on this today. Um Lorraine, did you want to come in just there?
2: Oh yes, yeah, I can unmute. I just I was just yeah, looking right. <laughs> just looking for some stats actually and I, and I was interested one of the things that strikes me is that whenever you travel through Wales is you kind of think, yeah, there is a lot of green land, but actually a lot of it is unavailable to us as as land builders, as as developers, as property investors, as new house builders, um, mainly because, you know, you don't need to go very far before you see huge mountains and hills and very rough agricultural land that, you know, just doesn't suit new housing. So I had a quick look, and then there's some research done by... University of Sheffield that argues that less than six percent of the UK is actually built on and that we have something like 94 percent of land available as greenbelt and um, if you look at the stats further you'll then see that actually 29 percent of that is pastures and 27 percent of that is forests and um, and then other natural lands beaches and moors and wetlands that you wouldn't even want to build on so I think we've got this real education piece around how we tell how we kind of put new housing up, how we increase the availability of new housing to local people. And um, perhaps, you know, there should be more houses that are that do go to local people. But my experience of that as well is that they just don't sell as well. I've seen properties um built in, in the Welsh town near to where we were where there are something like 20 new houses, 10 of which are earmarked for locals, which are still on the market two or three years later. The 10 that were available to people outside of the area have gone, and guess what that paid for the whole scheme the profit in those houses pays for the whole scheme so i think we need a real um shake-up call and we could do with a a voice in the market that helps explain some of this to the people that you know really don't want stuff built in their back garden who think they're being pushed out i just don't think it's fair
1: absolutely oh go on go on john real quick no, sorry. I was just going
6: to say, isn't the answer to people who are being priced out to support more development? Because the more houses there are, the less prices increase. So people also need to, uh, you know, understand that the only way we're going to solve this situation is through building more homes. There's no point attacking the stock that we've already got. We need to start looking at how we can
5: provide more. Absolutely. I Definitely huge, huge. Boris needs to spend less time partying and start working on building a housing market, I believe.
1: I was gonna say I wouldn't live in a house that Boris built though. Um, but the um absolutely it's um it's one of those, isn't it? Jimmy, look, this has been a wonderful, wonderful debate. We're just approaching nine first, so I'm just gonna wrap things up here for the room. Um just before I do, massive, massive thank you to everybody getting involved. This is a really, really passionate debate. We've done this twice now. I think Friday we did this as well, where we spent half an hour on one subject just because it's so interesting. It's an opportunity for us to pull apart all the moderators' expertise as well, which is great. Um, if you haven't already, please do click at the top and follow Property Club. We are the UK Property News and Debate Room. We're here Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 8.30 to 9.30, discussing all the latest news. So I hope to see everybody on Wednesday. With all that in mind, I was gonna say a massive thank you to everybody before I close out the room. All right, take care, guys. Have a good week. <laughs>